As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of four to six with A and B. I'm here with Bill Landis. And I can't believe you want to do a podcast with me right now after spending three hours in the car getting talked at. Well, here we're recording this on a Friday. You'll probably be listening to it on a Saturday over the weekend. The original plan was to record at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, where we just were for the past couple of days um, for work meetings mostly, but I was afraid of hot mics in there, so I figured it would be best to do it back here in Columbus. Yeah, hot mics are, are not good. Um, mostly I forgot to bring the stuff, so here we are. And, and Landis is usually the responsible one, but to completely forget to bring the, the kit, not sure where you were, but I did want to record under the athletic banner, the standard of new journalism. The standard of sports journalism. Uh, the, sta- the new standard of sports journalism. Which I think it is. Um, and uh, later on, we'll ask you to sign up for it. But first, how do you want to outline this, Bill? Uh, let's play, let's, <laughs> let's plan, plan this podcast. Um, well, we have a lot of different topics. And we were at yeah. the Combine, but we weren't at the Combine. We were Combine adjacent. Um, and I think the first thing I wanted to talk about 
is the reporter that asked Jeff Okuda if he had a tendency to get kind of sloppy out there. And I thought that was a really funny way to phrase the question. I was laughing about it uh, when I was reading about it earlier today. I was just wondering, Bill, do you ever have a tendency of getting kind of sloppy? And what do you have to say for yourself on that? Uh, only when tequila is involved. So, and I don't drink a lot of tequila. But I, yeah, it's happened on it's happened on occasion. I don't know. Nick Baumgartner, who covers uh, the Michigan teams and the Lions uh, for us, was at there because it looks like the Lions might draft Okuda at number three and one. Uh, Nick, who is uh, a football. Uh, observer who I respect very highly because he knows what he's talking about uh, loves Jeff Okuda and he thinks the Lions are going to love Jeff Okuda um, and I thought that was interesting not that it's surprising but I think Jeff Okuda is like further solidifying himself solidifying himself as one of the top players in this draft but I asked him like what was that about he's like I don't know the person asked the question Okuda put him in his place and then the guy like ran away um, the question was or asked him about a tendency to get kind of sloppy, and that's the quote. And the response was, I had zero pass interference, zero holding, so cut the tape of the game. I think you might have seen something else. Yeah, it was uh, it was sloppiness, and then it was like mentioned that he has uh, penalties, and it's like he didn't have any penalties. Zero. <laughs> so I don't know. He's a physical player, and I'm sure if you actually watch the tape, he got away with some stuff, but it wasn't called for anything. He's, he's definitely not sloppy. If anything, he got a tighter with his technique in the last year. I think sloppy is an interesting word for a cornerback who's going to be a top five pick. And I just like hate the combine because of all the questions and the, and the it's the dumbassery. I don't know how to say it, but just the whole spectacle of it and people asking questions about the future and, you know, old teammates and everything that is the, the guys were there to run a 40 yard dash and go home. And it's just, there's nothing interesting happening there. And I kind of think the whole thing is a big giant spectacle for the NFL network. I really, I honestly question how much uh, NFL franchises even get on this day. Cause all these guys are going to participate in pro day. The numbers that they put up later on in the process are going to be the ones they go by. I mean, I don't know. I, I know that millions of dollars are at stake when you're drafting people in the top 10, but this whole thing's a joke to me. I just got very sad. Wow, I thought you were making that face because I was saying something you didn't agree with. No, I was. So we're gonna do in the uh, later in this podcast. We're gonna do our defensive preview for spring football because we did offense in the last podcast. Spring football starts Monday, and uh, we have something to talk about that bum, bum, bums me out a little bit. It's not anything bad for Ohio State. It's purely selfish reasons. But we'll get we'll get to it. That's called a tease. Okay. Yeah. I, I, like I'm kind of bugging out right now because your face looked pretty serious there. No, I'm just sad. So you so you agree with me that the combine's kind of stupid? Uh maybe for us, but you think it's good for the NFL teams? I think it's kind of silly. Like uh, it's a spectacle. It's a, I think you athletic testing is important to like put it on this stage. I think is kind of weird <laughs> to have these guys interviewed at a super important juncture of their professional life when like they'd probably literally be doing anything else in the world. I think it's kind of strange, especially there's just not much depth to the interviews. Because it's a hard place to do them. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of strange. I think teams would be better served by just putting them through private workouts and private interviews and stuff like that. Bill, like, what if you took a job as the next uh, NFL insider for ESPN.com and you're the next Adam Schefter? It's me, Adam Schefter. Yeah. And then, like, you had to go to Indianapolis with eight, 80 other people and you had to do your interview publicly. And then when you were going into your interview and you came back out, you had to stand at a podium and you had a bunch of reporters asking you how good I am at my job. 
Meaning sounds terrible. That you would have to be like, so you're going to the NFL, but how's the athletic doing? Ari's great still. That's what happens. Yeah. It's stupid. I hate it. And you also get asked if you've met with the Jets. Yeah. So have you heard from the Jets? That's a very popular question at the Combine. But I think this is a nice jumping off point to um, some of the future-related things. I, I personally get the sense, and maybe you disagree with me, that once an Ohio State player leaves the program, that people care very little about them. They like to see them go think, off and do good things. Yeah. And it's a point of pride, but in terms of interest and what drives the needle, I don't think that it does the same way future players do. But I guess the question here is, and we had this debate a little bit, but if you were an NFL GM and you were starting a franchise but on your own and you had one pick to build your defense around, would you take Okuda or would you take Chase Young? I think in the end I would take Chase Young, but the more I think about it, and it's not really – it's more about Okuda than it is Young. I think I think it could be a discussion, and I, I, I guess I would take Young because pass rusher is, is more of a premium position, although I think cornerback is pretty close um, in that regard. I think Jeff Okuda is going to be really good. They're both premium positions. Jeff Okuda is going to be really good. I think Chase Young is going to be really good too, and I don't know. I would take Young. I would take Young, but I think it's up for discussion. I think if you polled most people, if you went to the convention center in Indianapolis and polled everybody, I think everybody would say Chase Young. Um, and it's easier, I think, to see sort of Chase Young's kind of transcendent abilities because he can do a very tangible thing like beat a left tackle and sack a quarterback. And it's like Jeff Okuda is really good, so teams don't throw the ball his way. It's like you forget about him because he's so good. Right. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think it'd be an interesting story for somebody to go up and add the last 20 years together of top five picks and then do um, a, a breakdown of which position is bu- a higher bust-out rate. And I don't think either of these guys are going to bust out, so don't take it that way. But I think you would have a higher potential of a corner being a bust than you would a physical freak defensive end. So like yeah. to me, I think the safe choice is Chase Young just because of just his pure ability physically. Um and while we're on this topic about physicality in sports, who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Um, we had, we had <laughs> a two-hour-long debate before we left Indianapolis about LeBron and Michael Jordan. Not Ari and me, but the two of us. Uh, Tashawn Reed, who covers Florida State for us, and Aaron Fentress, who writes about the Seahawks and the Oregon Ducks. And i got to tell you, I never wanted to leave a situation so badly in my life. <laughs> and then he just gave me the stink eye because he, uh, he didn't agree with my take and he doesn't really agree with my argument argument tactics, which is interesting considering we have such great chemistry on a podcast. Buddy. When you guys get a chance, you should ask Ari where Damian Lillard would rank among the best players of the 1980s. Tweet it at me. That's so we know you're listening. Um, but I think this is a nice time. You, you came up with a good idea, Bill, um, to talk about the 11 people were there. Obviously, Ohio State's pumping up those numbers. It's an impressive thing to continue ha- to, to have a continued presence in yeah. that stage. 11 players who are testing for the NFL means you had 11 NFL players in your team last year, and thus they get you ready for the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Ohio State's good at producing NFL talent, and <laughs> that does wonders for recruiting. You can go read that story for the 900th time on a bunch of other websites. But I'm just wondering, um, of the 11 players, maybe not Okuda and Young, so the nine – um, last year, I went to Florida around this time to report a story about Terry McLaurin and his working out and what he's doing in Florida to put himself in a position for the draft, and man, blew up. Yeah. Blew up. He went from potential fifth or sixth round draft pick to like, where did he get picked again? He went in the third round, but there was a time where I was like, is Terry McLaurin going to go to the first, first round? round? <laughs> yeah. 
third and round he, and pick and then an instant starter and like broke a bunch of NFL records for fastest guy to do this thing when he was with the Redskins last year. And I guess the next question is of the 11 or the remaining nine, not young and Okuda because top five picks are expected to be superstars. Which one of Ohio State's remaining nine players, the combine, do you think has a better chance, the best chance of being like um, Terry McLaurin? Like blowing up like that? Yeah, blowing up into the process. I think if you would have asked me this like two days ago, I might have said KJ Hill because I would have had Terry McLaurin on the brain. And. That would have been based on maybe Hill being a, a, a tick faster than people might have expected him to be, but then he ran a four six, and I don't think that's anything crazy bad for KJ Hill because it, it's his tape and production that's going to get him drafted. It was never going to be his speed. I just wondered if maybe he was a little faster than we all gave him credit for, and it turns out maybe he's not, but that's okay. I just think he sort of is what we thought he is, but I think he'll be a good pro. So if I'm not going to say him, I'm going to say, hmm, I'm torn between two guys. I'm going to go Devon Hamilton. I think he had a really good I senior year. I thought that year. was for sure who you were going to pick. I think he had a really good senior year, fifth-year guy. He's like the defensive version of Terry McLaurin, kind of. He finally found himself in a spot to be productive, and he was very productive. Uh, defensive lineman test on Saturday, so we don't know how we'll run or all that stuff. Um, and I don't know if he'll be a combine monster or not, but I just think he's a really good player who uh, was overlooked a lot because he was on the same defensive line as Chase Young. And when he gets removed from that a little bit and people can just sort of study him as an individual, I think they'll like him a lot. Can I say Austin Mack? Yeah. yeah, that's nuts. No, here on a four five nine, which probably is what I would have guessed ish. So that was like point oh one seconds faster than KJ Hill. Yeah, and Mac and Ben Victor. Victor ran a four six two, which I think is not great for him. Um, I don't think any of these guys were considered burners, and I think the reason why McLaurin blew up last year is because he was fast and versatile. And like all the talk about Terry McLaurin a year ago was, it doesn't matter if he's a number three receiver or not right away in the NFL. That's a high character dude that's going to play on special teams and be a gunner, and he's just a great person to have in the locker room. Like there were a lot of intangibles with him that people were obsessed with last year, but I think his speed is what got him into the third round. Yeah, because he ran really well at the combine. I don't remember what the time was, but he ran really well. Um, but I think Mac is a very interesting prospect and somebody who never really reached the ceiling of who he was at Ohio State, partly because of injury, partly because there was a lot of talent um, in that room, and partly just because of the rotation. Um, but I think that this guy runs crisp routes. He's got a great understanding of the game. He's like a sharp young man. Um, he's, he has he's incredible hands. Yeah. And like we used to joke all the time in the press box, like the guy might drop a screen and then go up and do an Odell Beckham catch on the, you know, and I think the athleticism and the ability to even make those Odell Beckham catches makes me feel like I'd take a flyer on him. And like, what do you, what do I think he might be? I think he could be like a reserve slot receiver somewhere. I don't know if he's ever going to be an Odell Beckham type player or somebody that's going to be a number one for you. But I think as a, a potential rotational guy in the NFL at wide receiver, I think he has a chance to make it. I just would be very interested to see, how things would go for him if he could, A, stay healthy. Because some guys just don't have the bodies to stay healthy long-term. And, like, I don't know what the reason is. that Maybe it's just, you know, genetics. But guys come through Ohio State, and some of them just can never be healthy for four years. It's one injury after another, and some guys never miss a snap. Mac was more of the injury-prone type. But if he can get into a camp somewhere, get healthy, and actually get some opportunities, because that's the thing. He didn't just get injured, Bill. He lost his spot sometimes when he got injured. Yeah. And at Ohio State, it's really hard to get it back once you do. Um, so I do think that this is a guy that can stick to an NFL roster 
Um, I don't know like what my feelings would be on like I think Jordan Fuller was a very nice college player captain, somebody that you want on the back end of your defense. I don't know if I'd want to build anything around him in the NFL. I think J.K. Dobbins is, which has been well documented, is way too slow. Um, Jonah Jackson, I don't know, is he a late round pick? Maybe no, 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 no. Is he a free agent? He might be the best interior lineman in the draft. Are you serious? Yeah, he's yeah, he's he'll he might be like a third round pick. I had him completely mispegged. Yeah. You're like the offensive line guru, um, but of of all the people on this list, I don't think this is going to be a very um, huge. NFL draft, bang the drum, look how deep Ohio State was last year type of type of draft. Even if he does go in the third round. I think they're going to have a lot of guys. Like Chase and Okuda are probably going to go 2-3. Um, I think Dobbins might go in the first round. I think it'd be surprised. If not, I think he'll go in the second round. Um, I think I think Willie Harrison's off the board by the end of the third round. I think Jonah Jackson's off the board by the end of the third round. Um, Best interior offensive lineman in the draft is going in the end of the third round? It's not a particularly deep. I'm, I'm trying to look at uh, Dame Brugler, who is our uh, draft uh, analyst. Here he is, pre-combine list for interior offensive line. He has Jonah Jackson at number – I'm scrolling. He has him at number nine. For number top, nine? For interior offensive lineman in, in the combine. That's pretty good. It's higher than I thought, but I would think the number nine offense, interior yeah. offensive lineman might be a fifth-round pick. No, I think I think he'll be if he's. So Dane writes, there's no lock for a first round pick at guard or center. It's not a very top heavy group. Um, he has Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU at number one. Cesar Ruiz from Michigan at number two. Like, I don't. I think that they're all kind of a very closely rated group in that way. Yeah, maybe somebody will be able to hop somebody. Maybe so, like, a chance. if you ch- if you if you have a good run up to the draft, and Jonah Jackson could certainly, I think he could position himself as a top interior lineman, but that could only mean maybe late second third round kind of pick but he's not he will not be i'd be very surprised if he's on the board after the third round well you guys should trust bill on his uh ability to break down offensive linemen that's not my uh strength but skill position players i do believe that also mac would be my pick so i like mac and it's like i hate when the thing you talk about is like he'd be a good locker room guy it's like well is he a good football player um, I think Matt can be both. I like, like he's very yeah. mature. I've always liked Austin Mack a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, of the three receivers, I like him the most. Yeah, and like the thing about it well, is, I like, like I like Hill the most. But yeah, I think, you. I think, the thing that's interesting about Hill is that the guy left as the all-time leading receiving receptions leader in Ohio State history, and it's like he had one of the best statistical careers in Ohio State history, and it's like I think he just kind of came and went. He's got great hands, and he gets open. And, you know, maybe that won't translate to the NFL. I think it will, even though he's not like a burner. I think he'll be pretty reliable. Maybe maybe he'll never be like a pro bowler or all pro or whatever, but I think he'll be reliable. I think the number one metric in in, in the entire thing is speed. You don't have I to. I disagree. You, yeah. I know you do. And I'm not disagreeing just on principle this time. No, I think that I you actually, are. I actually I think that you that. always disagree on, on uh Principle, but yeah, I mean, I uh, if you like look at all of the players who have hopped up high in the draft, they were all burners. I'm not saying he's gonna go high in the draft. State. I don't think he's gonna go. No, high no, in the draft. I know, but like I, I think, think he'd be that the best of this group, like in terms of like 
the reason why we were talking about this subject to begin with is because McLaurin's a bur- burger. He ran a four three five. He did. Yeah, that's like, fucking, we knew oh he was. Oh my god, that's crazy! I almost dropped the. You can drop an f bomb. We had a meeting. we had a meeting about it. You can, can drop, drop the occasional, occasional f bomb, but that was if if it comes out naturally, and that one did. I mean, four three five was crazy. Henry Ruggs ran four two seven the other day, so ain't that crazy? <laughs> Who did Henry Ruggs? He ran really? four two seven. Yeah. What do you think you would run? <laughs> You got a few if somebody <laughs> offered you a million dollars and said, you have to start at the beginning of you know, the 40-yard dash. If you can run this 40-yard dash in six seconds, I will hand you a million dollars. But if you lose and you don't make it and you run it slower than six seconds, you have to pay him ten grand. Would you take the bet? Absolutely. There's no way I could run that in six seconds. I'm trying to think of like what number. You don't know how fast you run the 40 because I don't know how fast my 40-yard dash time would be. I'm trying to figure out what the sweet spot number would be for you to take the bet. I mean, I ran a 40-yard dash when I was like in shape and playing football in high school, and like I was barely under six seconds. And now I am woefully out of shape, much heavier than I was then. Okay, so what <laughs> if it was seven seconds? I, probably not. I think I'd maybe do it in eight seconds. I'm slow. I'm very slow. Okay, but the reason why I'm asking this question is adrenaline has to kick in if that's on the line, right? No. I don't think so. I don't think like if you it. if you know like if you think to your like, I always like to ask myself this question: How far do you think you could walk if a million dollars was at stake? Like if I said if you have a month to walk to Cleveland, and if you make it there in a month, I will give you a million dollars. Would you attempt it? Yeah, I'd attempt it. And, like, don't you think the adrenaline of, like, getting the million dollars, you would just, there's no way you could lose that? I don't care how tired you are. Like, yeah, but, you would just you would just make it. You would find a way to make it. Endurance and, like, athletic ability are two different things. No, I know, but, like, an eight-second 40 isn't particularly the... I think if it were, if I got, like, seven and a half seconds, I think I'd try it. Seven, yeah, I was like, what's the metric of, like, where you would stake money? Seven like, and a half. I think seven million, and a half seconds. Because ten grand is a pretty big amount of money, but it also wouldn't end your life, and like you also would have a chance to completely change the way you live. Seven and a half seconds. Yeah. What if they? What if you? What? Okay, this is fun, and I know this is what we. This, by the way, if you're wondering what it's like to be in the car with me and Bill on a road trip, here it is. If somebody said. You have to run it in six second, six point eight seconds, but I'll give you a month and a half to train for it, and you can hire any speed coach you want. I'll pay for the speed coach. Would you take the bet? But you have to take the bet immediately before the training. No, I don't think so. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Um, this is four to six with A and B. <laughs> uh, we are two are too crazy. Crazy guys uh, covering Ohio State. Um, I, we appreciate you sticking along and listening to that lunacy and also hopefully reading our work on The Athletic. If you don't read our work on The Athletic, please consider subscribing. Um, 40% off discount for signing up through the podcast. Uh, www.theathletic.com slash 4-6. Um, everybody who signs up, uh, 100% of the people say it was worth it. And 100% of the people stay subscribed for more than a year. And 81% of stats are made up offhand. Uh, so the next topic we were going to get to are some of these rule changes, right, Bill? That we were talking about with NCAA proposed rule changes. One has a very interesting um, talking point considering what happened to Sean Wade in 
the Fiesta Bowl. Do you want to run us through some of the things that are being proposed right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the only – I think the most um, important one would be a, a proposed amendment to the target, targeting rule that would allow an injected player to remain on the sideline. And uh, we all remember Sean Wade getting ejected in the Fiesta Bowl and uh, Joey Bosa getting ejected in the Fiesta Bowl a couple years ago and how they had to leave and were like paraded in front of the entire stadium back to the locker room um, for a penalty, essentially. Um, I never liked that. I think Ryan Day earlier uh, this year said that he wasn't a fan of that. I think there are a lot of coaches who aren't a fan of that. I think in some ways that makes the blow of losing a good player like even more um, – significant because you just like that guy's not there even to like to help you from the sidelines and i think that can be somewhat important not ultimately important but somewhat important um so i like this rule change the other ones that are proposed are like replay review should be less than two minutes players can wear number zero like nothing nothing too crazy um they'll be voted on in april i would suspect they get approved because they usually do um but i think that you know the the ejection rule is something that ties directly to ohio state and i think maybe fans would prefer at least ohio state fans would prefer like some levels to targeting like flagrant one flagrant two sort of in basketball that's not changing or it's not proposed to change but this is at least something different that i guess is a little better for the players even if ultimately the rule definitely needs some some tweaking what about the two minute um review because that also has an impact or also has fiesta bowl relevancy anyway i don't remember how long that review was it was more than two minutes yeah i don't i mean i don't know I mean, like in the in a world where so many pivotal, 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 pivotal calls are made in big time atmospheres that people think are wrong, cutting down the time they have to make those decisions seems stupid to me. And I understand the idea of game time and cutting game and, and the commitment that people have to make to watch a game. And I understand all that stuff. But like rushing somebody who's already not doing that well at something is not a good idea to me. I don't think it should take more than two minutes for somebody to look at a replay in slow motion to determine if the call on the field was right or wrong. Yeah. If you can't make up your yeah. mind in two minutes and you go with what was called on the field. So then it why does it take more it than two minutes? shouldn't take that long because they're allowed to take more than two minutes and they take too long to look at stuff and can talk themselves in and out of things. I think it's good to put parameters on it. Yeah. I think that uh, the idea of the call makes sense. Or the the idea of the rule change makes sense, but I also think that like continuing to meddle with a process that's already kind of unhinged is weird. So I don't know if people if you think that it's going to help tighten it up. Maybe like the idea of if you have two minutes and they tell you to come out, not you're not sure, then it's just the default. Let the play stand, but it's just a very weird process, and I I personally think that there there just needs to be a formality to it that everybody follows all the time. I don't know how that how that works or what that looks like or whether that's always in a, a person in a booth in a different city overlooking these things or whatever the process must be. But I think everybody needs to do the same thing all the time, and I'm not sure that's always the case. Yeah, well, I mean, like I, every I, ref has to have the same. That goes back to centralized officiating, yeah. which I think should exist, but doesn't. Maybe it will someday, but I think that's like step one in that process. But it is kind of crazy to think that, like, if. The review parameters were two minutes or less in the Fiesta Bowl. Ohio State might have played for a national title this year. Like it's possible that that one change could ultimately change the call. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it could. yeah, it could. I guess my thing is like if it if it's if it's taking that long for you to find for you to figure out what you think the right call is, then there's probably not conclusive anything to show you. 
whether or not the call on the field was right or wrong. So you just go with like the human element, what was called on the field. It shouldn't take you more than two minutes to figure out whether it was right or wrong. And if there's not a good enough angle to tell you, then you go with what happened on the field. You don't just keep looking at it like it's a Zapruder film until you make up your mind. What's wrong with the Zapruder film? <sighs> Second shooter. Shout out to my dad. He's obsessed with the JFK assassinations. Um, to the point where we're concerned about him as a family. Uh, so what's what's the last thing that we were going to talk about besides just defense? Is it defense? No. Ryan Day got a contract extension. Okay, Ryan. Ryan Day got a. My bad host. <laughs> I just. Yeah. Maybe. Tell tell the people maybe. and tell me what you what you're thinking right now. We don't have to do that. Ryan Day signed a contract extension this week. It was approved by the board of trustees. Uh, he's getting a nice raise. He's on the books through 2026. He's getting uh, 5.4 million plus one million dollars in a retirement fund this year. So basically six and a half million all told. Six and a half million next year, seven point six million three years from now, which is right right where Urban was when Urban left. Uh none of this is surprising, I think. You we knew he was gonna get years added on, I think. We think we knew that a raise was coming for him based off how they played last year and where his salary ranked nationally. He's now the second highest paid coach in the Big Ten behind Jim Harbaugh and he's like kinda right there with James Franklin. They're on kind of similar pay increase paths. Uh, the thing I was most interested in and what we realized on uh, Thursday after it was approved is what the buyout would be. It's $3.5 million and decreases by half a million dollars every year after that. And that is not as prohibitive as I thought it would be. Yeah, what like what is a good, uh, a very high buyout that a, a coach might think twice about? Like, like $10 million. Is $10 million, like, is that typical? Uh, no, it's probably atypical. Um, James Franklin's buyout, for instance, this year is $5 million. And James Franklin's name comes up like every year for the USC job, and his his buyout's $5 million. Like Ryan Day's name comes up with NFL jobs, not other college jobs. He wouldn't think of another college job. But it comes up with NFL jobs. And uh, $3.5 million is not a whole lot of money to have to pay if you want to get Ryan Day. Somebody will pay it. Yeah, and maybe they're just not scared of it. Maybe maybe Ryan Day has made it abundantly clear that he's not interested in that right now, and that's why it's so low. But I thought it would be higher than that. Yeah. Um, the idea of just him getting a raise in extra years, I just think is just, you know, part of the reason why I just forgot about it is because I don't think it's that interesting. I mean, like the coach, the coaches that are getting hired around the country are paid more than Ryan Day. Of course, he's going to get a raise. No, it's not surprising. Yeah, it's not yeah, surprising yeah. that he got a raise. Like he got one. Like, like the head coach got an extension and got a yeah. raise. Like I don't think it was like oh, we just don't pretend like it didn't happen. Um, he's on the books for seven years. That's a long time. I think that's interesting. That's a long contract. I don't know whether how much that impacts recruiting or not. Um, but I there's think, also a question of like where Ryan Day. There are people we were talking with people and we yeah. were talking with our staff out what? in Indianapolis that Ryan Day is like the third best coach in college football. He's not paid like it. Should he be? He's only okay. I think this is an interesting year. discussion because here there's two. This is two flight. One is he a top three coach in college football? Is one angle to the question, and two, everyone was joking with me on Friday night or over some beers, but it's like. If Ryan Day left unexpectedly to be the head coach of the Patriots, who would Ohio State hire? And I think that's a terrifying game to play right now for Ohio State fans. But it's like if you're looking at like coaches' salaries, like Dabo Sweeney's the highest paid coach in college football right now, and Nick Saban's number two. Dabo made last year nine point two five five million dollars, and Saban was eight point seven. And then you get into Jim Harbaugh, who's number three. Like I think Ryan Day's a better coach than Jim Harbaugh. Like Ryan Day right now is better than the third highest paid coach from 2020 
or 2019, excuse he was me. Who's also in the same conference. Who's in the same conference and, and is at a rival school and he's, and he's younger. Um, and I think part of the reason why, but like if you like look at the list of the top 10, I'm going to read off the top 10 here, Bill. Number one's Dabo in terms of highest salary from, from last, last year. year. This is last yep. year. Dabo's number one. Two is Saban. Three is Harbaugh. Four is Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher. Five is Kirby Smart at Georgia. Six is Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Seven is Tom Herman at Texas. Eight is number is Jeff Brom at Purdue. Nine is Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Ten is uh, Dan Mullen at Florida. Now, I'm not sure. There's only three coaches I would take over him on that list. What three would – or what, what would that number be if I put you on the spot right now of coaches you would take over, Ryan? Two. So just the top two? Mm-hmm. I might throw Lincoln Riley in that discussion. Yeah, I think it's fair. And I also think that you could talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. But that's the only of the of the list. That's the only guy who's on the fringe. So, like I used to think, is he the third best coach in college football? It's like crazy. But when you look at this list, who's on this list that makes you think twice? Besides the guys who've like won multiple national championships in the last five years, nobody. Well, the thing about it is like Ryan Day had a really good first year with a roster that was really good that he inherited and. You can't judge Ryan Day based off of what happened last year. I think he's a good coach. I think he will prove himself over the long run to be what we're talking about here. But if you want to say, like, you're crazy for saying he's the third-best coach in college football, like, warranted. Totally warranted. Well, yeah, and the thing about it, though, is is that, like, we're taking what Ryan Day did with Urban Meyer's infrastructure and players and giving Ryan Day credit. But I'm not sure I would take any of those other names to do what Ryan Day did last year yeah, with the same infrastructure. Yeah, because we've seen them fail in other in other regards, and it's really funny because, like the thing that I I often think, and you know what it kind of hit me when I was looking at this list, Bill, is Tom Herman. It's like Tom Herman could be fired in eight months mm-hmm. if Texas doesn't compete or win the Big Twelve this year. I think he's gone. But if Tom Herman would have been in waiting in the wings, never took the Houston or Texas job, and was the quarterback guru that everybody loved after he left Ohio State in two thousand fourteen. And then was the guy who got promoted from within to be the head coach and not Ryan Day last year. Like, what would Tom Herman have done in his first year at Ohio State? Would they have gone to the playoff in this conference with that talent? Like, it's possible that we would be sitting here right now talking about Tom Herman in the same light. And Tom Herman at Texas is, like, on the hot seat. So, like, now when you look at this list, like, there's no freaking way I would take Tom Herman over Ryan Day. But I also think that it's very possible that Tom Herman would have done the same exact thing. Yeah, I mean, there's other like Tom Herman for all of his missteps as Texas head coach, like is a pretty smart offensive guy. I think like Jeff Brown is a pretty smart offensive guy. Ryan Day is a pretty smart offensive guy. And it's not just that; it's like the ability and the temperament to manage something as big as Ohio State. Yeah, and Tom Herman in, is Texas, Texas is that has not shown that. Um, maybe Jeff Brown could like it's impossible to judge because he's never had to do it. Like Tom Herman is running a very big entity at Texas, and I don't think he's doing a very good job of it. So I would but even the entity that Tom Herman is running at Texas never was what Ohio State was last year. There was no, no Texas it's roster. It's more difficult, that's what I'm saying. He's running something similar, but not quite to the same level, and I don't think he's doing a good job, so I'm not going to assume he'd step into a more difficult job, a more you diff- think difficult take, I'm thing. just talking about, like... I'm not talking about talent on a football field and the conference. I'm talking about running the entity that is Ohio State. It's not easy, even if it is pretty self-sufficient. It's not an easy thing to do. And Ryan Day seems to have the right temperament for it. And I don't know if Tom Herman does. Oh, that makes sense. I think Tom Herman would have taken them to the playoff last year if he would have just stepped in. Yeah, maybe. I don't yeah, I think it's I think it's possible. And I think and the it, team is like you like the team is very talented. 
Yeah, so no, I know, but like Ryan Day is like board. has great temperament and is an amazing coach. And we're sitting here talking about how we would only take Dabo or Nick over him. It's Dabo, Sweeney, or Nick Saban. And it's just like, but like to your point, I'm making your point that you're trying to make. And that point no, is. No, I was disagreeing with you that he's like, I, I don't think, I don't think, it's a type, like a hypothetical. It's not even worth getting worked up over, but it's like, I don't think Tom Herman would have taken Ohio State to the playoff last year. It basically is what I'm getting at. I just don't think he's a good coach. I think he's a good head coach. Damn. He's a good offensive coordinator. Damn. he was. I'm speechless. He's getting paid $6.7 million a year at Texas for, like, to what, win nine games? Well, he's going to get fired. I think he's going to get fired. I know, but I just feel like it doesn't – I think the hard part is the infrastructure and the talent accumulation. Once you get it to what it was last year at Ohio State – like maybe Tom Herman wouldn't have been able to manage it to go get Justin Fields. I mean, he couldn't like, win with a talented team in a worse in the worst conference. This type of talent that Ohio State had last year is atypical. Didn't they like lose to Kansas last year? Yeah, that was. But it has nothing to do with what I'm trying to communicate. Ohio State's roster and team last year is nothing like he's had ever. Yeah, no shit. I know yeah. that. I'm saying the guy is not a good head coach, so like I don't. I know I don't think, think you have the, to be. I don't think you roll the ball out and get to the playoff. Basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I don't also don't think matters. you need to be Bear Bryant to go to the playoff in the Big Ten with the team that they had last year. Okay, he's not Bear Bryant either. Yeah, they lost to Kansas last year, so I think. Well, it's like funny because it's like you're disagreeing with the initial point that I was trying to like agree with you on so we're kind of talking in circles here so i i think that the idea of um ryan day being the third or fourth best coach in the country is warranted of a seven-year contract extension what i was mostly trying to say about ryan day is that when you look at the market it feels like ohio state's almost getting a bargain because there are a lot of teams that are paying their head coaches, who I think are objectively not as good as Ryan Day, more money than Ohio State's paying him, at least for the next year. He gets a bump and he moves up to a spot that would have him like number three based on this list, and all these salaries are changed, so that you can't make that direct correlation. But I think Ryan Day, like at worst at the moment, is a top five coach in college football, and he's probably better than that, and he's not yet getting paid like one. I just think it's interesting that Ohio State – and it's Ohio State's kind of managed to do this – for the last for a couple long of years, time. Like Urban was never among the best, and even when it comes to assistants, like they were, they were reluctant for a little bit to respond to the market of, of assistant coaches getting paid millions of dollars, and they've since come above that now. But it's just interesting that Ohio State is like not impervious because no one's impervious, but can can hold that off a little bit where these other programs are spending exorbitant amounts of money, like to be worse. And here's the thing that the the point that I'll make about that because like Mel Tucker's making five and a half right at Michigan State, and mm-hmm. it's like I think other programs are bending over backwards to overpay their guys because they need somebody desperately. Like Michigan State was in a desperate position because if they wouldn't have gotten Mel Tucker, they would have been in trouble. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mel Tucker's like, no, I'm not interested in the job. Then Fickle's not interested in the job. Then all of a sudden it's like Michigan State goes, we'll just give you what you want. Then Mel Tucker throws a number out there and they're like, fine. Deal. Deal. (laughs) And I think at Ohio State, like there's an understanding um, from coaches – and this was more of an assistant thing because, like, like you made that point about how they were late to the party on the million-dollar coordinator thing, that working at Ohio State is a privilege. And I know that sounds, like, weird. Go Bucks! But it kind of is, right? <laughs> yeah, It's I like, get, it's I like one of the mean. top five yeah. programs in the country, and assistants who work at Ohio State often get 
more so than the money that they would make if they wanted to be paid as much as other colleges. They have a pretty high conversion rate of becoming head coaches elsewhere. Yeah, the brand being, does more for you than yeah. you do for the brand. Yeah, And like Ryan Day, once you get to the, the top of the ladder, might want that more money. But like Harbaugh was making more than Urban for the last three years, wasn't he? I think he always did. I don't, I don't think Urban was ever above Harbaugh. Maybe maybe the last year, maybe. But otherwise, he was always behind them. Yeah. And it's like, which who are you paying? I think I'll pay Urban. Yeah, I mean, Texas I don't, didn't lose to Kansas, by the way. Texas lost to TCU. And explain TCU. why you messed up. <laughs> it was the week after Texas almost lost to Kansas. They played TCU, and TCU wore uniforms that looked strikingly similar to Kansas' uniforms. And beat what were they Texas. doing that week? I don't even know what they were doing. Trying to spook Texas by looking like Kansas. You know what's crazy to me when I'm looking at this list right now, Bill, is that when you say, is Ryan Day one of the top three coaches in America, you can make either side, either point, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the staggering drop-off that there is once you get out of the top ten. It's like you go from, like, Jim Harbaugh and then seven spots later you're at Dan Mullen and then five spots later you're at Willie Taggart who just got canned. Scott Frost, Charlie Strong is in the top 16. To me, and I know that I might be kind of bias i don't know if that's the right word but like i just went to kentucky it's like mark stoops being number 19 on this list with what he did there is crazy to me but mark stoops has got a pretty good gig there too so i I don't know um top three i i i could say yes and i could say no top five i think it's absolutely the case i just like wish that there were ways or tools that we could use uh, in a sci-fi reality to like look at alternate universes and how things would pan out um because I do think there's a lot of in, uh, intrinsic value in uh, getting a car the way he got it that was built by somebody like Urban. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But we'll really know the answer here in the few, next few years. You know. Yeah, it's going to take a few years. It's going to take a few years, a, but a, once a it's, true evaluation of it. You know, once his you know players get in there and. You know, the early returns on the recruiting process, we've said many times, seem to be on the right track. I think if you get an, a person in place who is, and the point you were probably trying to make here is that he seems to have the temperament and the mind and the ability to not only become the head coach at Ohio State, but understand the responsibilities and the way you need to run the program in order to keep it on the urban track. It's not too big for him. And it's not, yeah, I mean, you could, I, you could be overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. And you can be an arrogant asshole who wants to change everything. And like when I did the story about um, why Ohio State hired Gene Smith, or I mean uh, Ryan Day with Gene Smith um, around the bowl season when we all did the the promoting within story that I wrote. Mm -hmm. You know what was funny? Did you read it? You remember what Gene Smith said like was one of his top priorities? I don't. He didn't want to get somebody that was going to come in and change stuff. And I thought that was interesting. It was like the last ode to Urban Meyer of like, we paid and invested so much money in Urban and so much time and have come so far as a program in the seven years that Urban Meyer was the head coach. The last thing we're going to do is undo it by hiring a shithead who thinks he's smarter than him. So like hiring a guy who's smart enough to know his place in the room, I think is just a smart guy. And that's why I think Ryan Day is going to be successful long term. Self-awareness, man. Short supply. Yeah, imagine uh, inheriting a team from Urban and going, you know what? This is all wrong. No, I got ideas, guys. Yeah. 
And he said even as much as changing wallpaper in the in the Woody. Like they didn't want to change anything. And it's not that Ryan Day didn't make changes, but like if you go back in time and you think about Ryan Day's tenure at Ohio State, like in the first year, what would be the biggest difference that like outwardly obvious that you could even remember? I can't even think of anything. Going under center. <laughs> It's like like on field changes and program changes are different things. Like, yeah, of course Ryan Day is going to put a spin on the football things, and there's stuff he's done in, in as the he should. There's a I think there's a different sort of tenor in the building, yeah. and it's been talked about a million times. Um, but the program is the program, and they do a lot of things the same way because it was successful. But you know they're going to play football a little differently, and they did last year, and it worked. Yeah, it's just like can you? It, there's a difference between can you drive the car and can you build the car? Right. And sometimes I wonder if Ryan Day could build the car, but I also don't know if it's ever going to matter. Like, if he keeps driving it, like, is he ever going to have to rebuild it again? Yeah, we never know. And maybe in 10 years, he might have to, you know, things get stale, things get different. Coaches who are successful wildly at one point get fired eventually down the line. And maybe he might have to rebuild and keep up with the times. But it's just like, if Ryan Day had to start out as the head coach at Iowa State, he might not ever be in an opportunity to win a national championship in his entire career. Because I think it takes a very specific kind of man to build a program to that point. Yeah, and some some can build it but can't take it to the next level and, yeah. and drive it when it looks like this. So Yeah. And uh, I, I, and I if know. I were a program builder, I would take the builder over the driver. If you were Ohio State, though, with the position that it was in when Urban left, I think you'd want the driver, right? Right, yeah. right. And I think that's what makes Gene Smith smart. Yeah. And for somebody who takes as much shit as Gene Smith, like he's a really good athletic director. I think he's a great athlete. Like, I'm not here to kiss ass. I think he's a really good athletic director. Yeah. Um, so speaking of driving the car forward, uh, year two now, uh, you know, what's crazy about these seasons and the reason why we're getting old, man, it's just like, we were just in the tunnel at the Fiesta Bowl like an hour ago and now spring football starting on Monday. And it's just like, <laughs> I tweeted the spring football what are we starts, doing? On, starts on Monday and someone said, kick that's off winter it, practice. Yeah, yeah. Winter practice. I mean, there is two seasons in Columbus, Ohio, uh, football season and spring football season. But, like, it's just these seasons go by fast. And, like, we both made the comment that last year was the fastest season in our careers. It flew by. And, like, now we're in March. This is March. And Bill's got a basketball team to cover. But um, last week we talked about offense. And, you know, I think a lot of people were very intrigued by the backup quarterback discussions and stuff. But, like, to me, whether or not Ohio State is a national caliber team is going to rest solely, and I mean that solely, on the defensive side of the ball. I think that Ohio State's offense is going to be the number one offense in college football this year, and whether or not they have the team ability to win it all is this side of the ball. Um, and I don't think there's some there's some sexy uh, position battles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you replace Chase Young? What are you going to do with the linebackers? Um, who's going to be in this? I mean, they're, they're, the questions go on and on and on. And we've asked each other this question in the past, but like it's just like, what do you think is step one? If you're if you're the new defensive staff, you have Kerry Combs in. Like, what do you have to solidify on this defense as soon as possible to make sure that things are built foundationally to compete at the highest level again? I think you got to start on the back end because you're not. If you're going to try to like like we lost Chase Young, how do we replace that? Like you're going to be banging your head against the wall until next December because you're never going to figure it out. Maybe Zach Harrison explodes and because some comes something like. Chase and the Boses looked like when they were sophomores because they all exploded when they were sophomores, and I think it's fine to hold Zach Harrison to that standard. But losing Okuda, losing Fuller, losing Arnett, 
Wade stepping outside. There's a lot changing on the back end of the defense, and maybe that won't matter that much in Big Ten play. I think we've talked about that before. I don't know how much your secondary gets exposed in Big Ten play as long as you have a sound defense. But once you get into the level we're talking about and you're competing for national championships, the playoff on the national championship, you're playing elite quarterbacks, you're playing elite receivers, you're playing offenses who can get their head out of their ass. Um, I think it matters what you have on the back end of the defense. So I, I'm, I'm most curious about that. Um, in a world where, like, the front end and the back end of the defense are changing a lot. Um, I'm most interested about in what's going to happen on the, on the back, like starting maybe at nickel and how it builds out from there. I think we know that Josh Proctor is most likely going to be the starting safety. I'm curious like what it's going to look like because Kerry Combs uh, said when we talked to him a couple weeks ago, like they're not deviating from what they looked like last year, but then Ryan Day said they got to be a little more versatile in what they were doing. So I don't know if that means like – more too high safeties, more like Pete Werner playing deep. Like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of stuff on the table. Pete Werner is like 242 pounds now, and, and Ross Fulton, who works for Buckeye Grove, pointed this out on Twitter. Like, maybe he might move to Malik Harrison's spot and somebody else plays where Pete Werner was last year. I think there's potentially a lot of moving parts um, on, on defense. But um, I'm most focused, at least at the start of this, at, on the back end to see who emerges a corner and who plays the slot with Sean Wade stepping outside. I mean, like, when we look at – what we're going to be doing on Monday, which is standing there watching practice. Full practice. Um, it's spring, but it's full I have practice. a really hard time with watching it and like deciding like who looks like what. And there's a lot of stories out there of like 25 observations from the first practice, and I think there's only so much you can take because they're not playing with full pads on. So like trying to decide the defensive line stuff is hard. You can't like. Watch the first practice and go. Okay, Zach, Harrison Zach Harrison's here. You know, like yeah, and yeah. that that's what takes time. So I think, like from the standpoint of, I wonder what it's going to look like with X's and O's. Who who's going to be? Um, how's the alignment in the secondary going to look? Like, what are they going to do with Pete Warner? I think all that stuff is very apparent very early, and that's what I think is the most exciting thing about watching it on Monday. Not so much physical stuff, but like I mean, I don't even think they put on pads for like two weeks, right? They'll be in chill. Yeah, yeah. So um, the first week anyway. And there's like a lot of the thing that I'm most interested in seeing is like whether or not Teron Vincent is out there and practicing like with everybody else full speed. Yep. You know, like to me, like he there, there's so much talent on this on this secondary depth. I mean, on this defensive depth chart that has never done anything yet. And like, I feel like a guy like Teron Vincent is a like tent pole of this defense. And like, if he's not who he we thought he was, or he's not ready to compete physically, I think that changes my entire thought process. You know, and there's like so many high-end prospects on this. I mean, Baron Browning, the five-star prospect, and it turned out to be what I thought he was. Is Taraja Mitchell going to, you know, step up into the linebackers, and are they going to have a realignment there? Is, like, Baron Browning and Taraja Mitchell going to, like, split time? Is Baron Browning moving? You know, uh, Sean Wade, is he going to be the, the cornerback that we thought he was going to be? Like, I'm just, like, listing off everything here, and it's just, like, it's it's, like, so much talent, but nothing is proven, and that's what's so exciting for me. Can I tell you what made me sad? Oh yeah, forgot about that. So this is uh, this is always my favorite time. Not my favorite time of the year, but it's always interesting. Uh, Ohio State is wrapping up its winter workouts, and they do like this Harley Davidson workout every year, where they just dress like bikers and lift weights and yell. Um, but they always pose for position group pictures when they're done, and this is like how you tell like, oh, who switched positions. So there are a couple notable ones. Cade uh, Stover is with the tight ends, which I think was out there a little bit. We knew he wasn't going to play linebacker. It was just like he's going to play defensive end or tight end he's with the tight ends in these photos Demario mccall is with the receivers 
which is also interesting in a world where we don't know who their starting running back is going to be. I guess it's not going to be Demario McCall. Uh, but the one that makes me sad, Cormonte Hamilton, who I wanted so badly to be Ohio State's version of Kyle Jusick, the dude from the 49ers, who's like a fullback, catches mm-hmm. pass, and does a bunch of crazy shit. I love that guy. Is he on the defensive line now? He's on the defensive line now. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Sad. That is something to be sad about. I was so he's happy. He's a freak, man. isn't he? He's like Rashad Berry freakish. I don't know if he's freakish or not, but he's a bowling ball, and I wanted to see the bowling ball on offense. And now I'm, I'm assuming he's going to play interior defensive line. With Who the way tweets that going. out? It was on Ohio State football's Instagram account. They tweeted okay. them all out earlier on uh, on Friday. Um, Cameron Babb is like dressed like he was doing some workout stuff. I think that's promising. Um, but yeah, I'm writing a thing uh, for Monday with uh, some thoughts on like the 50 most interesting guys on the roster in spring camp. And like the first one I wrote was Carmonte Hamilton because that was so because he was hurt all of last year. We didn't get to see him, and he was the first one I wrote. And because I was excited to see what they do with him in the offense at tight end, and uh, they really took the air out, out of the balloon there. Interesting move, because I don't recall you wrote about him when he like he had a pretty compelling story with his recruitment when he rode the bus from Memphis to come here and earn an offer. Um, I don't recall like any talk of like he might might, might play on the other side of Not, the ball. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these defensive pictures right now, and like I don't know. Will you look at the second defensive picture? I know this is a podcast medium, but look at the, the line picture, the defensive line picture. And then if you look to the right, the, the dude with the shirt on, like on the way right of the picture, but like not on the end, but with the red long sleeve shirt. Yeah. Looks like Draymond Jones to me. It is Draymond Jones. Is that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is he just like hanging out? Like, I'm like yeah. I didn't know like what. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was going nuts. <laughs> He's Draymond Jones standing next to Javante John Baptiste. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, continues what to be the most physically impressive player on the team that we've never seen do anything. He does look like he, the guy looks like uh, Wilder, the boxer. He was on the field last year at the, I might have said this before, at the start of you uh, did, fall yeah. camp last year. I was like, who the hell is that? I was like, oh, Javante John Baptiste. It was the Ace Ventura voice. So he said, who yeah. the hell is that? Um, but he's just transitioning, like, he keeps transitioning to defensive end. Like, that should be complete now. And, like, this is a guy who looks like, Anyway, that he should be like an NFL draft pick. So I'm, I'm curious about what he might become. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, bud. Is it just because they have too many tight ends? Well, they moved Cade Stover there. It's it like, they, like they traded Cade Stover, who was supposed to be a defensive end, um, to tight end for Carmonte Hamilton to play defensive end now or defensive yeah. tackle. I wonder if there are any players na- to be named later in the deal. If I were the head coach of Ohio State, I would do. I would flip everybody around just to mess with people. Yeah, maybe that's all this is. <laughs> CJ Stroud with the secondary. You know, who, you know who is like kind of like a freaky athlete, like a Rashad Berry is Kate Stover. Like they're kind of deep at tight end with Farrell and Ruckert and and Hausman even played a lot last year and Berry's gone, so I guess there's an opening for a fourth guy. But uh, I'm a little surprised to see Kate Stover on the offensive side because they're not there's not they're not deep in terms of like experienced guys on the defensive line. So I thought like that might be a move to like try to find a little something. And I guess the move to try to find a little something on the defensive line now is bringing Cormonte Hamilton over. They are pretty thin at defensive tackle. They have last year. They had six this year. They have four. Yeah. But I'm, and that's assuming that Vincent's healthy. I'm bummed that nonetheless, it's crazy. Hmm. Makes me sad. I don't like when Dollar B is sad. I'm legitimately sad. Um, well, 
Bill just signaled at me that he wanted to go uh, use some tissues and cry in the shower. So we're going to go let him do that. This is the end of um, 4 to 6 with A and B. I'm sorry that Bill and I got a little chippy. I think we've been together too much for the last uh, <laughs> three days. Too long. Um, need a few hours uh, break. But um, that's why this podcast is fun. So Bill Landis, uh, Ari Wasserman, thanks so much uh, for listening 4 to 6 with A and B.